Welcome to Free and Figuring It Out, a weekly podcast hosted by two Brits, Sherelle Griffith and Verity Brown, on a mission to support, empower and reassure fellow independent millennial women that they can be self-sufficient, successful and seen. Hello and welcome back to Free and Figuring It Out. Thank you so much for tuning in today. We are excited, as always, to talk to you. And this week, I'm going to be kicking off with what I'm figuring out. I have just moved back to London. Uh, After having spent five months, I think it ended up being, out of London. And six months of not being in my own space. I've been reunited with all of my contents. So I am currently recording this whilst absolutely surrounded by boxes. Verity's not got Yeah, she's tired. surrounded. <laughs> I've literally just about made space to get into a bed and set up my desk and the podcast mic. And that is it right now. But it is bringing up some questions for me because back in episode 23, we talked about Marie Kondo. Um, this whole thing mm-hmm. about decluttering and minimalism. And I've spent now five, no, six months without all of these belongings that are currently here and some things I'm very excited to return to for example I have found my shellac machine so I'm going to do my nails tonight which I'm excited about it's a nice little treat and there are a few things that I generally have been like oh I can't wait to get back to that but there's a lot of stuff that I'm like have you really noticed not having it and so I purposely am thinking I should be really conscious now of when I start to do my unpacking and working out what stuff to just like chuck away straight away and also even if I don't unpack everything just try and living with less for a bit because mm-hmm. I can I can still keep the boxes and I can take them back to my flat when I get my flat back and reopen them but actually even just having a bit of time of trying to physically feel what it is like to live with less I'm always someone that's struggled a lot I like to have lots of things around me and but I do really believe in the power of a minimalist space and I do really enjoy that, that feeling of having space. And, you know, we've spoken before, we've got an episode all about home sweet home as well. And this idea of trying to find that balance of like what is homely and what's product, a productive space. For example, now I don't have any distractions. I'm sort of like I'm at a desk and all I've got is the things I need to do. Um, so I want to try and make a space that is good for me to sleep in. I can like enjoy myself in and also be productive in. And obviously that is a question that's coming up more and more for people as more people are working from home and how do we get a mm. home space that's allows you to work and you can then still have that separation and unwinding all that sort of stuff so that's what I'm figuring out right now <laughs> yeah it is it is interesting and we've spoke about it before and I've had a few episodes I don't know where like one point ninety percent of my stuff was in storage for three or four months and then the other was like when I lived in India for three or four months and I just took a suitcase and you don't really miss the things that you left behind but then you don't get rid of most of it when you get back and it's interesting isn't it like why why do we know we don't really need them but we don't get rid and, and maybe it's to do with you know the more societal um definition of success or home or whatever and that we feel we need all this stuff around us even if it's not beautiful nor useful which i think is something maria says doesn't she like keep it if it's beautiful or useful so or sparks joy that's her big thing is that everything around you should 
bring, yeah. bring you joy and so that's my thing is trying to actually open boxes with that mentality of being like am I excited yeah. like oh like I was super excited about getting my like machine back I was like yes I'll put you on the side <laughs> um, and you know I'm and my bookcases I know my bookcases <laughs> honestly I was so happy so I have got all I also had managed to accumulate quite a number of new books during lockdown so I'm mm-hmm. now put them all on the bookcase and I actually spent a bit of time rearranging them. So now I have a shelf, for example, that's all the books I need to read because I want to be much more conscious about actually reading the books I have because I've started to get a little, maybe a few more than I can get through. So yeah, I had a lovely day yesterday just actually looking at the books, resorting them out and ready to get, dive back into them amazing oh that's and very what are exciting. you figuring out Rosie? I am figuring out daytime eating which sounds a bit weird but I've realized that like I love food I love cooking but I also when I'm working and obviously working from home like a lot of people um I kind of don't prioritize it so all of a sudden I'll be like oh my god I'm hungry like like really quickly randomly I'll be like and then I'll just I'll be like what can I reach for like there's no I don't want to cook a nice lunch or anything I just want to eat because I need to work and I mean I, I don't eat bad you know like I'm I think you know I have a fairly balanced diet but at the minute you know breakfast is cocoa pops with oat milk and nice. lunch is a sesame seed bake with some dairy-free butter and you know I just think mm, maybe it's probably not the best but it's, no it's, it's like default <laughs> decision no but then my my good, evening yeah. meals are like full of vegetables and you know obviously I'm vegan so it's just full of veg and rice and goodness um but I think more than the nutrition it's more the um productivity side like you know it would it be better if I had a smoothie and so it's been and this sounds crazy but it's been something I've trying to been trying to hack for like over 10 years it's always been a bad habit of mine that I just default to what's easy Mm. so I really want to try and sort that out um but yeah it's it's just a weird funny thing that seems so straightforward but I struggle with it I would be I put it out to the listeners actually it would be nice to hear what people are eating especially now they're working from home because I think that has changed people's eating habits massively one of the big reasons I think that the government is trying to encourage people to go back to the office for example is because companies like Pret and Eat and Pod and the likes Mm. are probably massively struggling because they're not getting that money of the people that run out at lunchtime and buy a five pound mac and cheese with kale. Oh yeah, Brett. Oh, yeah. Um, and I was someone who always packed my lunch. So I was definitely someone that would make the effort. I would cook dinner and do extra portions and then would take that into work with me. Or if I did, like, did salads, I would like prep like two, like two together for like two days in a row and stuff. So I actually probably was always very conscious of what I was having for lunch and would definitely think about it when I did my weekly shop it was something that I was really organized around and that probably has changed now because I'm not 
as conscious because in my head I think well I'm at home with all my food and veg all my all my, my fridge and my freezer my cupboards so there's always going to be something whereas when I was going to the office because I didn't want to buy something on my lunch it meant I was much more organized you see I'm the total opposite my yeah. breakfast would be either going to Leon for like their coffee and porridge or coffee and yogurt combo or a flat white and a croissant from prayer and then lunch would be because I worked in Oxford Circus lunch would be yeah. one of the 10 million eateries in Oxford Circus you know around there that I could get from so I've never been in that habit and I think that's showing now um so yeah it's something I'm working on but I am figuring it out if anyone would like to help me figure it out feel free to reach out um so an article that I recently read um, was in um, the Gay Times. And for those of you who don't know, Poland is going through quite a tricky time at the minute in terms of LGBTQ plus rights and opinions. Um, basically, the um, current president is very anti um, the queer community, and that's represented quite heavily within the general population. So they recently um, named six towns that would be LGBT-free zones in Poland, wow. which, I mean, I don't really, all I thought of was, I'm not really sure how they do that because like, I mean, we know in this country where we're, where it's so, I mean, I say so acceptable to a certain level and we're so liberal and it's a democracy that there's so many people still in the closet because yeah. of whatever reason they have. And I just think it just seems like an odd thing to say because I just think it's truly impossible. But are they, um, what are they offering? Anywhere, are sorry. they chosen places where where they would imagine there was a low percentage already? So when I'm thinking about England, for example, there are some cities where we'd automatically think there's a higher uh, LGBTQ plus population. Mm -hmm. And there are places where you'd assume there's less, like not, I, I know, I'd just say we'd have assumptions about ones where there's a higher. So have they chosen based on what the current uh, mix they believe is, or are they given options for people that are from the queer community that are in those cities or towns to leave? Like, how does that even work? Yeah, I am not sure. And it's something okay. that I will put in the show notes. Um, I'm not 100% sure about how that decision has been carried out and in what way. Um, but the the positive side of this is that the EU then withdrew funding from those six towns. Wow. Um, it said we are not going to fund you with such, you know, just ridiculous beliefs and um like homophobia and and things like that so um yeah it's uh it it's a really interesting story we'll link in the show notes I think it it's just I mean obviously like you know we have um a lot of Polish people living within the UK and you know I'm lucky to to know um a lot of Polish people and you know when you talk about um the, the difference between the UK and, and Poland in, in aspects like this is quite sad that, um, you know, opinions are, I suppose, they feel like they're going a bit backwards now yeah. and they're stepping back. I suppose, to be honest, we feel like that in quite a few of the countries at the minute, um, like, you know, such as America, Obama did all the work, 
and then Trump kind of did it all and things like that. So yeah, it's, 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 it scares me that this is still going on in the world, especially in the West, um, because I thought we'd turned a corner, but obviously not. But um, yeah, I will, I will link to a few things so people can explore it a bit more if they, they want to. Yeah, no, I definitely will be checking it out because I hadn't realised that was mm. happening and it seemed very, yeah, I'd be interested to see how they think, you said, how that's going to actually physically work. And I'm assuming yeah. they're doing it based on the fact that then they think that people that don't want to have to interact with the career community can then, they can go and live their life in isolation. But it's not the way forward, is it? Like, it doesn't seem to be a logical step to be making. yeah. They have a very strong view that a family is a man, a woman, and yeah. children, biological children. Um, and so I think an LGBT free zone would enable that stereotypical family to live there wholesomely yeah. without, you know, the queer community bothering them. I don't know. So, but yeah, it's, uh, it's something that I'm going to um, definitely explore a bit more. Mm. And this week, definitely totally frivolous compared to that. I actually watched some telly. Oh, yeah. yeah. Yep. I um, escaped for a few days and stayed with a friend and watched a Married at First Sight. Now, oh my gosh. <laughs> so we've spoken about another reality dating program before so episode 68 we spoke about love is blind and this is where people would Mm -hmm. talk to people in pods and then they would propose in their pod and then they would get to meet each other so this was one where at least you got to talk to people and build some sort of relationship before but you would never see them before you they proposed to you now this so I thought oh this married at first sight I'm imagining it's going to be similar vibes now For this program, actually, what happened was, I think the first one was either 2015 or 16, they did it in the UK. They got um, like one and a half thousand people came and they were trying to get them matched scientifically. So actually what they did was like one of the things they had to do was they had to like spit into a cup because they needed to get some DNA. And they had to do this questionnaire that was like over a thousand questions long. Um, They would uh, measure you, like your height. They did stuff to do with like, I can't remember if it was, it's either like breast to waist ratio or hips to shoulder rate. Like it was some ratios different for men to women they were working out. And so there was a panel of experts. And so they collected all this data and then different experts based on like their specialism would then start to say, okay, these two should make good matches. So some of them, it would be to do with like, yeah, maybe they're, when they ask, ask the questions, they, for example, like you're saying about people that have a very, a specific idea of what a family union might look like there might be people that, that clearly from their responses both seem to be like families are really important this is the way I want my family to be and they matched so they were like okay those two are gonna go together there were some people where they'd use some um of this like the science and the DNA to work out sort of their mentalities to um like pair bonding so like some people it seems like it's like it felt as if they were saying it's like scientific that some people are actually are more likely to pair bond for life which I was I'm now like can I do this test because clearly what's this a is, pair bond so like I think that the idea like between being like monogamous and wanting to be polyamorous or like whether you want to have multiple your likelihood I think just to like stick it out basically and be like your oh, emotional okay. attachment so you like pair and 
you're totally happy mm. in that situation it makes sense so there's some people that got matched because of that and there was all these different um, people that talking about it and I just found it really interesting the concept of so they would have to decide what couples would get together and then they would get told over the phone they'd end up knowing their first name and surname before um because they have to go in and register you have to register in the uk don't you to say you're going to get married hello facebook search <laughs> and then that was it then you'd meet at the aisle so you'd literally choose a dress or you'd get your suit and you'd walk down the aisle and that'd be the first time you saw the person and then the show actually follows them for the next five weeks. So they go on their honeymoon and they live somewhere. And then after the five weeks, they have to make a decision about whether they want to get divorced or whether they want to continue. But what I found is very interesting was this idea of like scientifically being matched. So with Love is Blind, it was very much was, yeah, we're trying to take away the, the us focusing on looks. And there definitely was mm. some people that suggested this again, that the online dating world is, isn't great because we are just becoming too focused on looks and so with love is blind we took mm-hmm. that away and you got a chance to the person but this was even more different because this was basically saying you're not going to know anything but we believe scientifically we can find someone that's a good match for you now ha- like i don't know it just blew my mind to think like scientifically they could do that yeah i yeah it does it does blow your mind, but I do think there's got to be some level of, uh, yeah, truth within within how that works. And yeah, this could be a, maybe we need to get a like matching expert on the podcast or something, because it is super interesting how I, yeah, and I always find it's people you it's someone you wouldn't have gone for or someone you, you know, but, but scientific. And I think, I think that we've discussed in the past, it's about, you know, maybe we sometimes think we know what's important to us, but actually for a a really strong long-term relationship, it's probably totally different. It's probably all the other things. Um, And so maybe that's where the science comes in. It kind of helps you, look beyond the things that you think are important because you don't know you need those other things yeah I don't know it's and I think it's about the conversations you have with people like I think most people when they go into first dating like especially to a certain age they're not actually probably thinking about the long term so like some of the things like when people say like oh they're they're perfect as a as a short-term partner but then they're not marriage material but it's like but Mm. we don't a lot of the time we still will go out that person so you're like well clearly you're not looking for marriage material anyway um but also this idea like you said of like answering all those questions and really trying to work out what's important to you and I think it's quite similar to like when you do personality tests and it's only once you've answered the question so many times that you start to realize like oh like clearly I am more leaning this way than that way if you've Mm. not ever done any of those sort of love things or like relationships and really sat down and thought about what you want then and you're just sitting there swiping you're going to come up with someone that's totally you're just going to have to someone that's like looks hot and I mean it was weird to see people walking down the aisle and being like are they going to be like who on earth am I marrying like it's so anxiety inducing and then what happens when like they say you may kiss the bride and you've never, you've never seen it like oh, this for the first time. No, no, no. Oh no. Would you go on it? Yeah. So I actually was saying that I would. Oh no, hold on a minute. Did I decide this one was? 
I was trying to think if I would rather do this or would rather do Love is Blind. Um, I think it, no, I don't want to do it. No, I don't, because I'm like, I don't want to get divorced. <laughs> Sorry. No, I was remember thinking which one I would do. Because Did you get is, an annulment? How long is it till an annulment? Well, this is the thing, because I take marriage very seriously that I wouldn't want, I would love to actually do it in terms of the science and getting matched with someone, but I don't want to get divorced. So no. for me, getting married is just not to someone that I actually don't know is not an option but i would absolutely love to do the test i would absolutely love to see if they could find someone mm, very exciting well probably in like i don't know a bit opposite but i've been watching um mrs america which is on the bbc um and it's really about the the feminist movement in the 70s and each episode focuses on an individual woman within that movement so it's the Gloria Steinem kind of era of of feminism Um, and it really looks at um, the time when the Equality Rights Amendment was going through and there was a group of opposing women who um Kate Blanchett kind of heads heads them up and um basically they didn't want equal rights (laughs) so they didn't want um women to be like sent to the front lines of of wars and and things like this um and then you had the opposite with the women who were trying to push things the um era through and that is all about you know um abortion rights uh, lgbt rights you know general equality with women across um the spectrum um and yeah it's kind of just about that time in, in American politics um, and the movements. And it's really, really interesting, really well done. But we, I've just watched the Shirley Chisholm one, um, who was the first black woman and first woman in Congress to be put into, con- into Congress in like 1970, early 70s, 72, 74. And she actually, it's just, I'm saying this because it's so interesting with where we're at at the minute in terms of politics. She actually was going for president Mm -hmm. and basically they just knew she wouldn't win. Mm -hmm. So they were kind of like, let the other white, straight, male Democrat win. Mm -hmm. So the Republicans don't get in. Um, And she didn't want to back down. And then she kind of realized it's better to be in a in a democratic state and in the congress than it is to lose you know but then i just thought oh my gosh we're 50 years on and we've still not had a black um female president or a female president and it's just that was the scary bit i kind of turned it off and i was like oh my gosh like that is crazy but yeah it was it's a very very um good good series so i definitely recommend it I mean, the question would be how many other women since have been told the same message, which is mm. and for the party, the best thing you can do yeah. is let a man go for it. Mm-hmm. No, it's, yeah. And then, it, you know, it's, is that then about more the education of society and in terms of, I mean, the fact that Hillary Clinton didn't win to Trump and I, and I know as an aside, and we, we talked about it, um, before about Cambridge Analytica and all that but 
you know, it, it was kind of a no brainer, I think to, well, the pool of people I know. <laughs> and then it just, well, yeah, you know, it, it's, um, it's things like that that really make you question what is going on. There's something, there's something going, going on. And thank goodness we had Obama to just break that mold and prove that other people other than a straight white cis man can do it. But yeah, it's um, scary times, but yeah, definitely worth a watch. Mm. And what have you been reading? So I have been having a bit of a reread so I am part of a women investing book club I decided mm-hmm. last year that investing and really making time for my financial I don't know not financial I don't know don't know what the next word is financial something I want to make time I want to knowledge commit to it. health yeah mm-hmm. probably help because I don't think my knowledge is that bad I think it's actually the time like putting the time and committing to it and yeah so I joined a women only, women only investing book club and we're about to read Cash Flow Quadrant and um, which is the like follow up book to Rich Dad Poor Dad by Robert Kiyosaki. So I have gone back to Rich Dad Poor Dad because it's a book I read I reckon about 6 7 years ago and it's been really interesting because mm. anyone who knows me knows like I fill my books with post it notes. And to visit an old book and to see like some of the things that I've written down is like so interesting. Um, it's probably one of the most common and most popular personal finance books that's out there. And basically, um, Robert tells the story of having a rich dad and having a poor dad, and just I suppose like their approaches to money, the rules. And uses the story of having these two characters to show so the difference between like how the rich behave around money and how the poor. And central to this whole idea is there's a big focus on like your income and your expenses, your assets and your liabilities. And that's what he talks all the way through about one, I suppose, how you can make money, but also trying to escape being in the rat race is a big thing. Um, and actually, like there's some quite interesting conversations around how the middle class get to this idea of where you might have a nice house and you have money and you get a nice holiday but you're constantly on top of yourself and you're not actually building something that is giving you any sort of freedom like the life you've got is purely based on you working really hard today and the moment you stop it all falls apart and which again is something that's very interesting because I think as someone coming from a a working class family you know it's very easy to look up at the middle class and be like oh they've got nice houses and cars and their parents do good jobs and that's like the ideal but actually you realize it's it comes with a lot of stress when yeah you are constantly thinking something is could happen and this could all disappear yeah well it's kind of like high overheads isn't it so yes. you've got to sustain that income to ensure that everything can be paid I suppose yeah absolutely and I think it's really timely right now so they've just obviously announced about us going to recession and I know that that's going to make a lot of people very like fearful and um, it brings up lots of memories for some people and you know a lot of the recession before there was lots of people that were ended up in this category where you appeared to have lots of money you'd had a good job you got a house and everything but the second everything started around you to fall it was like I don't have anything to fall back on and so there's a question in the book that I wanted to share which was 
if I stopped working today, how long could I survive? And I know this will absolutely trigger so many people. Mm. And it's something I talk about a lot in Propel Her. There's a lot. We always read a money book every year because I'm so passionate about people actually having a proper emergency fund, properly having some savings that mean you can survive right now. And that the, the difference between, you know, people are losing their jobs, people that are in furlough are very cautious about what's going to happen in the future. We don't know. It's worrying time for lots of people. And knowing how long you could not work for and be able to survive will absolutely have a massive impact on where your mind is right now. Mm. Yeah, we spoke about money quite a lot in the past. And I think we'll link to those episodes in case, you know, people are interested in, in hearing that. And I know that we also, when we spoke when back, back in the day, when we were both single, we spoke yes. about like the FF fund. <laughs> and it's a similar thing, isn't it? It's kind yeah. of whether you want to leave a relationship, a job, or, you know, obviously the way you're speaking now, Shirelle, is that some people will have a choice. It will be um, redundancy and things with the recession. But um, it's having that fund that you can fall back on that means that money isn't stopping you from doing something that is not good for your mental health or your body or whatever it may be. So, yeah, I um, know yeah, it's a really interesting concept. Yeah, no, and, and as you said, that's, yeah. we'll link to the episode where we talk about the FR fund and that is definitely, I think it's so important so that people can, as you said, just leave a relationship, leave a job you don't like. Um, but yeah, right now, I think it's also this idea of this will be like for me and you, this will be the second one where we've probably been working and we've been in a recession. And I think mm. that it's, there was definitely opportunities. And that's the thing that's quite interesting for me right now is there are people who know there are opportunities and there are people that are very, very worried. And I think by trying to have, ideally have these conversations, not in a bad time, makes your life easier because it means in the good times, if you're having a good time, then it means in a bad time, you're ready for it. But I think even if you have to ask yourself that question right now, and it means whatever happens in the next foreseeable, you're just much more conscious about trying to get out of a living day to day, basically. Even if all you're mm. doing is giving yourself an extra week, an extra two weeks, all that does make a difference to actually then how you respond yeah. to the opportunities as they come in, up in front of you. Definitely, definitely. Great. So what are we going to leave our listeners with this week so this week we are going to be asking ourselves what does it mean to be rich to you so obviously i'm talking a lot about money this week but because rich dad poor dad is a great book i really enjoyed it and lots of people are going to be thinking about money right now but rich is a thing that i've spoken about previously in terms of you need to define it for yourself and actually, right now, the world is totally changing. And this may change other things about how you feel about wealth. Because it's, most people are trying to get rich for a certain lifestyle. Um, and understanding to yourself what that means, whether that means where you live, what money you have in your bank, how big do you want your emergency fund to be, actually getting some clarity around those issues will help you um, going forward. Okay, that sounds great. So, um, yeah, let us know what your responses are to that. We'd love to hear. And uh, we will be back 
next Friday with a new episode. So we will see you then. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Free and Figuring It Out. Don't forget to hit the subscribe button so you don't miss the next installment. And if you want to be a superstar, please leave us a review. Or you can get in touch with us. Drop us an email at freeandfiguringitout at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. Until next time.